the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. 24 hours a day, seven days a week. The news never stops. Life goes on around town and around the world. You need a talk show that keeps track of it. A program with bold opinions that's always open to your views. That is this show. Welcome to the Mark Davis Show on 660 AM. The answer. And good morning, everybody. Hour number two. Glad you are here. Kind of a fun hour. Half hour from now, we'll talk to somebody who is in Congress, Pat Fallon, Texas District 4. Talk some border stuff and some child tax credit progress made yesterday. Very few things are genuinely bipartisan. This one was. We'll talk to Pat Fallon about that. Right now, let's address an issue involving some people who are trying to get into Congress. The uh, the legacy of Dr. Michael Burgess uh, just just hangs heavy in our appreciative uh, uh, library as a crowded field works to be his successor or in a primary that, of course, early voting, Feb 20, and the actual primary on March 5th. So it's the Texas 26th primary. Lots of people running to succeed Dr. Burgess. Now, and we've worked our way through a bunch of people running for that, and we'll continue to. But yesterday, how how in the world did the, the smarmy George Santos train of events work its way into this race? As I explained to you at the top of the show, there's this thing called Cameo, and it's fine that it exists. Uh, usually it's it's mostly people in entertainment or music, but sometimes politics. And if you send them, you send them copy to read and they'll read it. And usually it's like, hey, wish my wife a happy birthday or tell my buddy who's a you know 49ers fan that he's rooting for him in the in the Super Bowl. Well, apparently, if you send somebody something on Cameo that contains lies about people, they'll read that, too. Now. I don't know what kind of person you have to be to just read what someone sends you. And I don't know who sent George Santos this, but here's just a few seconds of it. No, hang on, let me let me let me let me start back. Hang on. Here you go, George. Take one. Hey Mayor John Huffman. It is I, George Santos. You know, the guy from New York expelled, but with a ninety-six point seven conservative rating. So I know a real conservative from a mile away, and I find it hard to believe that Texas 26 would want to vote for somebody who supports BLM and attended a BLM rally in 2020. Ah, where to begin? How about by saying hi to South Lake Mayor John Huffman? Morning, Mr. Mayor. Good morning, Mark. How are you? I'm I'm great. just gets better every time I play it. First of all, here's and listen for God bless uh, George for his conservative rating. He voted right on a lot of things. I know a conservative from a mile away. Would he recognize you from ten feet away? <laughs> I don't think so. I'm laughing because of the absurdity of the situation. I I certainly did not have getting lied about by George Santos on the internet on my 2024 bingo, bingo card. card. The first um, thing I want to do, go, let's, and let's just, and I, I kind of laid it out myself, but it's better if you do it. Let's tell everybody what that was, and then we'll talk a little bit, not so much about this, although I am curious about this, I, I, because I'm taking a kind of yeah. a, an almost 
academic doctoral dissertation deep dive into just some of the crap people do in primary season. But let's go back to June of 2020, post-George Floyd, riots tearing apart American cities, and Southlake was not immune. Tell me what was going on in Southlake, where at the time Laura Hill was mayor and you were on council. Set the groundwork for me of what June of, or the end of May, beginning of June 2020 was like in your town. Yeah, absolutely. And and I, by the way, before I start, I think you're right. This is primary season and this is an open congressional seat. And so you have all the grifters kind of squeezing their way out and starting to throw slime around, trying to take down good people. And this is what everybody hates about primaries. So, but yeah, so let's go back to summer of 2020. You're right. We, we watched as riots and mobs burned down American cities. We watched as the liberal media lied and called them mostly peaceful protests you know, just a week. So I went back and checked the dates. The the quote unquote protest in South Lake Town Square was June 7th. Well, just a week earlier, we had watched a mob burn Dallas, smash windows. Um, 74 people were arrested. It was an actual mob in South Lake. We knew they were coming here, too. And it was, uh, you know, it was a really difficult time to be a city leader and watch this stuff happen in other cities. And then see that similar things were planned for for here. And so the week before, the FBI was monitoring, as they do, and keeping in touch with us about actual threats that they were seeing. So stores boarded up in Southlake. I mean, we've got pictures for the Apple store and all these high-end stores. They were putting up plywood, spent tens of thousands of dollars to board up in case what happened in Dallas happens here. The National Guard, the day of, the National Guard was actually stationed in Southlake. Very few people know that. And the police chief, the day of, showed us on council and the mayor a credible threat from the FBI, from Antifa, from known Antifa members who were in the crowd. I saw the pictures. And the police chief did not want the mayor to speak because she had seen her remarks. And they were not friendly, let me say, to the BLM um, mindset. Didn't say Black Lives Matter. But Mayor Hill, to her credit, wanted to speak anyway. And she said, I'm going to go address the crowd and tell them what they should be doing. This is not it. And uh, Mark, I'm 6'5". I'm physically the largest uh, council member. And I was like, if you're going out, we're all going out too, because we're not going to leave you hanging in that crowd alone. Mm -hmm. So we did. We walked out and through a crowd and she stood on stage and she challenged the crowd. She didn't say Black Lives Matter. She didn't take a knee like other liberal mayors were across the country. She challenged the crowd. She said, what you should be doing is getting involved and showing up, not on protest, but actually making a difference in this community. She's expressed support for our police department. Crowd didn't like that one bit, shouted her down multiple times, and eventually it got so bad that the speech was cut off, and we had to leave through the angry crowd. It was, it was a very intimidating moment, but I thought it was a great moment of courage to say, yeah. hey, this is how a, a, a mob like this is supposed to be addressed. So the idea that we were there in support of BLM is just absolutely insane. So how did, in view of what these gatherings and protests usually represented in terms of tone, and in view of what Mayor Hill and you and the South Lake leadership was likely to disagree on, how did she get microphone time at this thing in the first place? Well, you know, being mayor, they wanted to hear. And yeah. I'm sure they wanted to, they thought the pressure of the crowd would, would force her into uh, taking a knee <laughs> or saying Black Lives Matter and doing the nonsense. Yeah. And it didn't. Again, it was a great moment of political courage, and 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 I'm proud of that, and um, and I'm glad she did that the way and she expressed support in police. And we did, we would do it again. Um, it is incredibly important to to support police 
not only when it's easy, but especially when it's hard. And that's what happened that day. So what's the first smoke signal you had that there was a George Santos video bagging on you for, for being a BLM supporter? Well, I, I left an event one night this week. I don't remember when. It was an awesome like fundraiser with friends, and there was bourbon and cigars. It was a great time. And I, I just I had a text from a friend saying, oh, did you see the Santos thing? I was like, what happened to George Santos? I, he, he's in the news a lot. Yeah. Never in a million years did I dream it was about me. But, you know, it's primary season. This is what happens. So do is it impossible to know who did this? Or who who paid who paid George Santos to lie about you? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's um, you know, I, but honestly, it, it's almost irrelevant who did it. I mean, obviously, it's the primary season and a lot of money uh, flying at us already. I tell you what, if if it's some rando dude who happens to support one of your rivals for the seat, I'm prepared not to care. Right. Uh, if if somebody's campaign thought this was an yeah. idea i'm prepared to care so i don't and then, no I, I i think that's a good point and uh you know i, I think this is what disgusts people about uh primary politics and listen i've been an elected official for almost 10 years i've been on the wall as far as politics goes there's plenty of stuff in my record you can look through um it's a great record but what i'm saying is if you're especially if you're a fellow republican and you want to criticize me for something in my record go ahead don't lie and make up stuff. That's just that's what people hate about politics. And that's what people hate about Republican primaries. When this mud starts slinging, it's just trash. So what are some of the things? How many have, have how many events, how many forums? There's a lot of folks running. But how, how many events have yeah. there been where you guys have fielded questions and what kind of stuff has arisen? Sure. No, it's been a very, very busy uh, month, I would say, hardcore on the campaign trail. We've done a ton of meet and greets and, and, and events for us, probably been eight to 10 candidate forums. And that's where we talk about issues. And that's what we're focused on. That's what my campaign is focused on. I, uh, this this is a, a, an unfortunate distraction because I want to be talking about how to fix the Biden border crisis. I want to ha- be talking about how to rein in spending from a congressional level so that we can actually structurally reduce inflation and get our American families back to the point where they're pursuing their American dreams. I want to fight the woke and weaponized bureaucracy. And instead, we're distracted by nonsense. That's what I want to talk about. That's what we're going to talk about. And you know, if the people of District 26 bless us with the seat, that's what we're going to be fighting for in Congress. George did ask us a question that I'll ask you. And, and it, who do you want to be president? Well, Donald Trump is absolutely going to win the primary. That is, that is. I mean, we talked about this first time I was on the show. Yeah. Um, I'm going to support strongly the Republican nominee, and and that's going to be Donald Trump. Uh, and, and I look forward to fighting alongside him through this race and fighting alongside him to actually pass real Republican priorities. Enforce the border, fix spending, make his tax cuts permanent. I'm excited about that. Would it it's be, going to be great? But because when last time we did talk, it seems forever ago, and on the presidential <laughs> terms, it, it it seems like you were part of an appreciable number of conservatives who, all other things being equal, uh, thought the DeSantis thing was a kind of an interesting uh, an interesting prospect. But since that didn't work, the, the the pivot to Trump is is an easy one. Would I be correct about that? One hundred percent correct. Gotcha. Uh, there, there's, there's somebody who people may recognize who uh, who pivoted to Trump pretty quickly in 2016 after having been a campaign long Ted Cruz supporter. That guy's name was Mark Davis. So anyway, this uh, this stuff does happen. All right, let's let it's it is the year of residency where people are climbing all over Brent Hagenboo because they don't think he lives in the district and you have to. Uh, in Congress, you don't. There's a, yeah. a smidge of South Lake that's in the district. Your house is yeah. not. Help me with that. Yeah, correct. So my house is two miles 
south of the district. And, you know, I went back and looked. So constitutionally, obviously, you don't have to be in the congressional district. And there was a court case, actually, from 1807 that discussed that. And, and the, the, um, some of the language that the, court, the Supreme Court used was, uh, we don't want to limit the choice of people in a congressional district by drawing the geographic boundaries. Um, but the reality is, I, uh, I am the only elected official in this race that currently represents a portion of the district in the, the Denton County side of South Lake. Mm-hmm. I live two miles outside the district. But really, that doesn't change anything about my conservative record or accomplishments or what I want to do in Congress. You know, the national issues that we deal with and the regional issues that we deal with don't stop at county lines, as you know. And, you know, I've said this before at forums, and I'll I'll say it again. The reality is I fully intend on looking to move into the district when we win. But I have a sub 3% mortgage, and until uh, the the Biden uh, inflation disaster drops rates, I'm I'm not I'm not going to handicap my family like that. But, uh, you know, this district, I think, is understanding and embracing the idea that living two miles south of the Denton County line doesn't disqualify someone. Has there been anything either in your familiarity with uh, the, the, your, your fellow uh, combatants for this, the, a view that only you hold or where you seem to have a slightly different approach? Because oh, primaries are all about, hey, here's where my views are better than everybody else. Is there anything yeah. that has been sort of your turf? Yeah, well, that's a great question. So the reality is, I think um, the what voters are responding to, and we we've have, um, I think, thirty meet and greets booked in the district between now and election day. I mean, we have three or four a day, literally, and and that's because the energy of and response we're getting from voters and what they're responding to is they want someone who is a proven conservative fighter who's won victories on the issues that we care about and that we have to have victories on things like balancing budgets and cutting taxes, which we've done and, and been successful at, and you know, standing up for our police, being tested in the fire, even when it's hard to do. Um, those things matter to people. And seeing my record of almost a decade in elected office, uh, five years appointed by Governor Perry to the state licensing board for psychologists, like I've got a record you can look at and see that I know how to accomplish the things that we have to as a country before we lose our American dream. I think that's what people are responding to. The website is johnhuffman.com and on uh, X at John R. Huffman. And much appreciate you, sir. Thank you, Mr. Mayor. And uh, we'll talk soon, I am sure. Thank you, Mr. Davis. Appreciate your time, sir. Appreciate you, John Huffman. Uh, All righty. That's Texas 26. Bunch of folks running, and they're all going to work their way through here at some point. So keeping us busy in the days remaining to the Texas primary. It is 822. All together now. It's the thrill that'll get you when you get your picture on the cover of the Rolling Stone. It is Ray Sawyer's birthday. Dr. Hook and the Medicine Show. What a masterpiece from 1972. Ray Sawyer. Uh, it was mostly percussion for Dr. Hook, and Dr. Hook had, you know, Sylvia's mother, and uh, when you're in love with a beautiful woman. Most of the vocals on uh, Dr. Hook were a gentleman named Dennis LaCourier, but uh, but, but that's, that's Ray Sawyer right there, the unmistakable cover of the Rolling Stone. He would have been 87 today, passed away back in 18. All right, um, how about S. Pat Fallon about this? He's an actual congressman. Everybody in 26 in that race is looking to become one. The whole residency thing. You do not have to live in the district. you got to live in the state to, be, uh, to, to run for Congress in a given state. 
residence is is interesting. Um, is it better? I mean, do you, if you're running for mayor, yes, you should live in the city. If you're running for governor, yes, you should live in the state. Uh, state Senate, we apparently have a rule that says you need to live in the district for a year. That's the, the whole Brent Hagenboo issue. He either does or he doesn't. It's ridiculous that courts can't figure this out. Uh, should have been done by now. Voters deserve to know whether that is a strong legal footing he has for saying that corner of the office where the co- office is in the district. And by the way, I th- I think that's fine if it's within the law. I, uh, Mayor Huffman has constituents in the district. I think that's fine. I mean, it's up to you. you I, I think it's best to leave it up to the voters. Nope, I need somebody who's lived in the actual district in that zip code for 47 years. Great. Let that be your standard. What the law requires can differ. State Senate requires it. Congress doesn't. So uh, I, I, I've i said I don't think many people care about this very much. Uh, obeying the law, we all care about. But as far as whether you are right there living necessarily, whether your head hits the pillow in the district or just outside it, I think what people's actual views are. Uh, if somebody you absolutely loved lived 500 yards outside the district, you wouldn't give one flip. So I think a lot of the, a lot of the fussing and moaning about who lives in the district are for people who don't like the given candidate. Um, anyway, so there we are on that. All right, let's uh, let's let's talk to Pat Fallon, who absolutely does live in the district. <laughs> His district is uh, the mighty fourth, working from northeast of DFW all the way out Lamar County, all the way out Paris, and uh, and we got a lot of uh, congressional things to talk to him about. So let's do it next. Mark Davis, eight thirty. Nikki Whaley in the newsroom. Beverly Brothers. Hello, loneliness. I think I'm gonna cry. Don Everly would have been 87 today, passed away back in 21. Bye-bye, sweet Hello, emptiness. I feel like I could die. All righty. Let us roll to halls of Congress. Say hi to 4th District Congressman Pat Fallon. Morning, sir. How are we doing? Mark Davis, great American. It's uh, already a great day because I'm talking to you. Now, I tell you what, it's about to get even more interesting. You're awesome for for the topicality of the moment because you've had a couple of gigs, one in Congress, one in State Senate. I uh, just talked to John Huffman, who wants to be in 26, and and we've got all the, 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 the Drew Springer vacancy stuff. Bottom line is you have to establish legal residency in the State Senate, in District 30, where you, where you once occupied. You don't have to. In Congress, is that weird? Should we uniform that up, or what? What's your thought on on living in the district? Well, I think that yeah, I mean, it's always uh, you'd like to have that happen. And sometimes, like in Frisco, for instance, we're split between Collin and Denton County. So mm-hmm. if somebody lived across the street from me, but they were in a different county slash district, you know, I mean, they're part of the community. So for me, anyway, that's my standard. Or did you move from Arizona to run? Yeah. That that I own. Mm-hmm. I, I personally wouldn't vote for somebody that did that, but. Um, but if you're in the community, sure. You know, I mean, that that's so if it's a, if it's a line that's, you know, you can hit a golf ball into the district. Uh, it doesn't bother me as much. Gotcha. <laughs> so to come back to Texas and into this District 30 race, which you thought about for a little bit and then decided, nope, I'm going to stay in Congress to the delight of, of most in uh, in District 4 there. Uh, you do have to establish legal residency in 30. And I don't know how much you paid attention to this. I, do you know Brent Hagenboo? I know him. I, I know him a little. I love him. He seems to have all kinds of good things going for him. He either lives in the dang district or he doesn't. I can't believe the courts can't figure this out. Yeah, you know, and, and that's the thing. I mean, Mark, listen, full disclosure, in 2017, I bought a house in Prosper so I could run for SD30. 
and, um, it, you know, but I bought a home and I did it four months before, a couple of months before I had to, because in Texas, the Constitution says, and that's the difference, by the way, that the U.S. Constitution says you just have to be a resident of the state to right. run for Congress, mm-hmm. to run for the House. Whereas the Texas Constitution says that you need to establish residency one year prior to the November election when you actually get elected. And I think personally for me, I, that's why I bought a home and I would sleep there three nights a week because I felt that was okay. I've established that residency. Um, and I, I know that there's some controversy about, uh, I I think it's in a, uh, his residence he claims is in an office building. So he's got a car. There's a part of the office where you can, you know, sleep and grab a cup of coffee. And listen, if that passes muster, if the courts were to say, we rule that that is a residency for the sake of legal running for office, then great. Everybody get off his back. If not, then we got a huge problem. But to have this just drifting unresolved is is crazy. Speaking of unresolved things, last thing, and we got plenty of congressional things to go. Do you know Drew Springer pretty well? I, I know Drew. Yeah, I, and yeah. I love I, I loved like Drew. I love Drew a lot. I uh, have for a long time, and he was of course your successor there in District Thirty when you decided to go off and be in Congress and stuff. There were people during the Paxton impeachment, something you and I have talked about a lot, who said, "Yeah, Drew doesn't like Paxton at all." I said, "Well, he just voted to acquit him," and people said, "Yeah, it was political expediency because he looked at the the, the playing field and said there's no way he could vote to convict Paxton and politically survive." Well, Drew ain't running anymore, and now the Paxton hatred. Bursts from him like a geyser. I bagging on Paxton endorsed candidates. I mean, just what the heck? You know, I haven't spoken to Drew in a couple. So you know, I, I don't know. You, you know, in politics, we're going to disagree on on things. Like I totally disagreed on impeaching Ken Paxton, not because, again, full disclosure, Ken's a, a dear friend, simply because this is adjudicated by the courts. So why does the legislative branch even enter into this? He's been convicted of nothing. So I just think that they went way outside their legislative lane. Now, having said that, there are friends of mine that voted to refer, you know, voted to impeach and refer to the Senate. They're still friends of mine. I just disagreed with that vote, and I disagreed with it vehemently and publicly. But, you know, if I agree with somebody on everything else, I'm not going to throw away our friendship and our political alliance over that. But I'm also not going to I'm going to you know, share my thoughts on it uh, because I just didn't think it was constructive. Congressman Pat Fallon is here. Let's talk about congressional things. Quite the congressional day yesterday. Very few things are bipartisan. This child tax credit thing was. Tell me about that and what it does. Sure. Well, the reason I, I, I was agonizing over this because I could see both sides. I uh, could see why people would vote for it. I could see why people would vote against it. The reason why... Uh, because people were worried about the expanse of the child tax credit as far as costs go, and we certainly should be uh, <laughs> very acutely aware of anything that uh, it spends additional money, considering we're deficit spending as it is. <clears throat> the one thing that I, I really like a lot of the things about the bill, because it, uh, as a businessman and a small business owner, a former small business owner, like, for instance, the research and development expense, you can expense that over one year instead of five years. So that's going to really increase. Uh, I think it's going to help research and development, um, which is going to be has is strategic impact for the economy. You can also deduct your interest, which now when in, you know interest rates are so high, that's going to very much help small business and, and Main Street. You can um, you can expense 100% all of your machine investment, equipment, your vehicles, and something near and dear to my heart that most people, most Americans don't know about, Mark is. In Taiwan, if you're an American company doing business in Taiwan or a Taiwanese company doing business in America, and we want a 
manufacturing chip, uh, semiconductor chip manufacturing in the United States. Taiwan is the premier leader in that, but they have an issue with investing in the U.S. because they get double tax. They would get taxed by the United States and Taiwan because Taiwan's in that quasi-state of they're not a nation state, a full independent nation state, et cetera. And we eliminated that. That's that massive uh, boon for this country and Taiwan and also making them stronger to prevent, uh, you know, maybe deter China a little bit because the more money they make in their economy, the more weapons they can they can purchase, et cetera. So uh, there's a lot of other really good things that could go on and on. I don't want to take up all the time. No, but I understand. That's the reason I voted for it. Gotcha. Congressman Pat Fallon is here. Are we about to get treated to a full House impeachment uh, hearing for Alejandro Mayorkas? Hallelujah. Finally. Mark, finally. I've been screaming from the mountaintops, and, and folks heard. I was the first member of Congress last year to file articles of impeachment in this, the 118th Congress, on, our, on Alejandro Mayorkas, because he richly deserves it. My very good friend, Mark Green, who is on the Homeland Security uh, Committee, he's the chairman, he, he told me we're going to have a vote next week. So they voted it out of committee. And let's just, if we can, do we have a little time to run down why we should impeach sure. Alejandro Mayorkas? Mm-hmm. Okay. Number one. He, he said and testified under oath in Congress that the border is no less secure than it has been in prior administrations. That's what he said. And that's not an opinion. That's a statement of fact. No less secure. Okay. Hmm. We had never had, other than two outlier months, 25 years ago, we had never had a month in our history of over 200,000 illegal border encounters in a month. We've had 20 of them under Joe Biden. In FY 2000, so fiscal year 2017, President Trump's uh, first year in office, we had 300,000 illegal encounters the entire year. In December of 2023, we had 300,000. In one month, we had 323 Chinese nationals apprehended on the southern border a couple of years ago under President Trump. We had 24,000 last year. Total border encounters in the tenure of Obama and Trump, their first three years, was about 1.6 million. Mm-hmm. It was 8.5 million <laughs> under Biden. That's no not the same. Not maybe the same. Under, maybe that's the new liberal math. But anyhow, he's he's lied under oath. He's not. Uh, he, he's violating the Secure Fence Act and several other statutes in law right now. And the courts have, the Fifth Circuit found that. So it's not just House Republicans saying it, it's the courts saying this. He should be impeached forthwith. forthwith. We've only done it once. Last time we did it was in 1867, as far as impeachment of a secretary, a cabinet secretary. Well, was, it, was there a conviction then? Because we ain't going to get one for this one. There was. Okay. I mean, uh, wait, which, was, le- which leads, pe- was, which yeah. leads people to say, since there's no way there are two-thirds of the Senate they are going to kick him out, of what value is the impeachment? I think it's a similar logic to the notion of impeaching Biden. I mean, he's not going to get thrown out either, but it's an opportunity for a, 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 a an often ignorant country to, to watch coverage and go, wow, that's happening, and get a big dose of reality. Mark, I couldn't have said it better myself because, listen, the question you just asked me, and then my answer. There's going to be some listener. I know your listeners are very educated and they're uh, great Americans and they're engaged. Mm. But there's going to be some listeners out there that didn't know those things that I just said. Mm. And I could go on and on. You could do an entire three-hour show on just the border and the facts that people would go, really? I had no idea. Americans don't have any idea that in Mexico, if you're a journalist and you report on cartel activities, you'll be murdered within the week, probably with your entire family. Um, That's how lawless it is. Um, so, yes, number one, it brings awareness to the current, not even crisis, calamity at the southern border. 
it uh, so that that's good in case they're in a long shot that there would be new evidence found that would convince Democrats. You never know, but we need to have this discussion. And then, furthermore, it it does um, really stain him in history. So he'll be the second, and people will always wonder why. Well, because him and his president decided that they don't want that securing their border wouldn't be important. And God forbid we have a terrorist attack where the terrorists sneak across the southern border and then murder Americans. Then there's going to be literal hell to pay by these Democrats in this regime. And by the way, if Biden impeachment is still an idea hanging from the rafters, I think stuff like this, all Mayorkas is doing is is doing the boss's bidding. And I, I think impeaching Biden for border for willful neglect of the border is a lot more has a lot more bite than, you know, Hunter and his stupid laptop and the crime family stuff. Am I wrong? Well, you know, you, again, you're making good points. Joe Biden said that he's done everything he can to secure the border, and he blamed Republicans. Right. Everything he can. But that's, again, that's a lie, because right now, without congressional action, Mark, today, Joe Biden, if he wanted to pick up the phone and then, you know, sign a, 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 an order, he could reinstitute wait in Mexico immediately. Now, yep. he claims, because I, I, I heard this from a, a colleague uh, who met with him in the White House, that, oh, Mexico won't go for it. Well, they went for it under President Trump because they need us a lot more than we need them. If we just close the border and say we're not going to open the border, like literally nothing's going to cross this border until you help us reinstitute this policy, they would do it in a heartbeat. They wouldn't even have to wait an hour. So that's just a lame, far-left liberal excuse. The Border Patrol agents tell us that 70 percent of these crossings would be reduced immediately if he just instituted wait in Mexico. Never mind the fact that he's got all sorts of statutory authority. To, uh, for expedited removal, uh, discretionary detention, mandatory detentions. Yeah, he, can do, he can do that today. He just chooses not to. Last couple of minutes on things presidents can do. Does he need to consult you guys in Congress before striking Iran militarily for killing Americans in Jordan? All right. War Powers Act says he can act unilaterally for 60 days. He is supposed to consult and uh, advise and, and, and keep us attuned to what's going on. So update us. He can do it. He doesn't need permission, but he's supposed to consult and um, in, a, in a relatively timely manner. So and then he's got the 60 days and anything after that, he's going to have to have congressional approval on. What what do you what do you think you ought to do? I mean, there's there's I mean, I hear all kinds of people. We all the, our gut says we got to do something. We can't just let this go. But then there's the entanglements and the foreign wars, and we're sending everybody off to further nightmares in the Middle East. What 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 would seem like a good American response? It's a great another great question. We can't do nothing, mm-hmm. and the fact is, pre- President Trump taking out Soleimani sent shockwaves through the Iranian regime. Where these kinds of guys, these dictators, whether they're Islamo, you know, fascist uh, terrorists or uh, like the Iranian regime, this, the evil theocracy, they love to sacrifice their people, but they don't want to sacrifice themselves. That's why Soleimani scared the living snot out of them. So that's one of the things that I would – I don't want a war with Iran. I don't want a war in the Middle East. But I also – we cannot stomach our soldiers being murdered either. So uh, I would hit some of their, their command and control and some of their leaders and to say look you want to you want to wrestle with the, the the tiger we got claws and teeth and you usobs want to see it you're going to see it so that's called deterrence so you smash them in the face because the best english these the, uh, theocrats in tehran understand mark is a gun to the face they 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 only you know if you project weakness they they see that if you project strength they see that too so it's time to project some very targeted strength 
Congressman Pat Fallon, Rep. Pat Fallon on the X, on the old Twitter, and Fallon.House.gov for the congressional website. Thank you, sir. Action-packed segment, as always. We always appreciate you. Thanks, Mark. God bless. Take care. Have a great weekend. Fourth District Congressman Pat Fallon, Mark Davis, 851. I'm going to say I've never played this band before in my life. Nothing the matter with them. It's X. Little punk outfit out of L.A. Up front there, a lady named Xine Cervenka. She's 63. So, hey. Let's have a little mosh pit happy birthday for Xine. This is uh, the title track from Under the Big Black Sun. Pretty good 40-year-old album. A 42-year-old album, 1982. Man, we're all older than we think. All righty. Let's headbang our way out of this hour and into the next. Let's have a chat, in fact. Speaking of the Middle East and what we ought to do, Jonathan Shanzer of the Foundation for the Defense of Democracies, big foreign policy brain, we will ask him what the heck to do, because so far we ain't done nothing. Will we? We'll ask next. Mark Davis, 660 AM, The Answer. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. <laughs> 